mindfulness mode. By loving ourselves, you know, we expand and open our hearts in deeper ways. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show once again. Today, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about racism, not always an easy topic to discuss, but very, very important topic to discuss for sure. And I'm here with an author of a book called How We Ended Racism. And I think you're just going to really want to get your hands on this book because it's so well written and such an excellent book. And my guest in his bio, he talks about how he grew up with gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window and then later ended up on the stage with Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, and others. He's an award-winning author and speaker and a Grammy-nominated recording artist as well. So I'm really excited to tell you that I'm here today with Justin Michael Williams. Justin, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm in mindfulness mode, Bruce. Thank you so much for that marvelous intro. That's fantastic, Justin. Justin, what does mindfulness mean to you? Oh my gosh. So, you know, my favorite definition of mindfulness really when I like really break down kind of, I guess, the classical definition around paying attention, but with kindness and compassion, right? And so I, you know, I notice for me how often I pay attention to things, but are we paying attention to things with judgment and rage and hate, or are we paying attention to things with an open heart and with compassion? And so this is what I try to do and aim to share for others to do in my life as much as possible. Right, that makes sense. So you, have been on stage with Deepak Chopra and so many others. Tell me what that experience was like. Oh, okay. So I, you know, gosh, it was years ago that I was on with Deepak and uh, I was at a festival called um, Bhakti Fest in Joshua Tree. And uh, one of my teachers, Lauren Roche, actually invited me to do music and lead practices with in a practice with Deepak. And Deepak kind of co- we co-created uh, with my teacher a three-hour experience at Bhakti Fest that was just like this jam of music and mindfulness and mental health all together. And you know, it's one of my favorite things when we can integrate these pieces of the puzzle. Like there's mindfulness that is obviously soft and quiet and there is a time and a place for that but also when we can bring mindfulness into our ecstatic states is really amazing so it was really cool to be with Deepak in that environment I'm sure it was I want to jump right in and talk about your book how we ended racism you wrote your book with a fellow writer Shelley tell us about Shelley oh my gosh Shelley is the most incredible woman I know and so I co-wrote this book we intentionally wrote this book together um, you know, Shelly is a white Jewish Gen X mother from the East Coast, and I am a black, queer, millennial, single man from California, you know, and so we wanted to really come together to, to write a book together. And what I mean by that is it wasn't like Shelly wrote a chapter and I wrote a chapter. We each wrote every word, every page together back and forth, sending it back and forth to create something that we felt like was really representative of what we believe about the world. And that is what we both experienced traveling and speaking and teaching all over the world is that even though the media and the world tries to divide us and make us seem like we're all so different. And yes, of course we have differing opinions, but we're not all as extreme, 
I think, as the world is making us believe these days. And there's actually a lot that we have in common. And so how do we find that common ground to help us move forward, not just to fight racism, uh, but to actually end it? And what does that look like? And so writing it with Shelley was really important because uh, I firmly believe that you're not just going to end racism preaching to like one demographic of people, even if that group is like a liberal group or a conservative group, we're going to have to come together to do it. And so uh, Shelly and I really tried to model that for people of what it looks like for a white woman and a black man from very different environments to come together to write this book. Justin, where did you meet Shelly and how did you come up with this idea of writing the book together? Yeah, so Shelly and I actually were in a fellowship program together at a place called the Garrison Institute. It's based on the East Coast in upstate New York. And um, the program, what it offered us the opportunity to do, the big kind of thing that the fellowship asked us to do was to ask a big question. Mm-hmm. And then the fellowship armed us with resources, tools, like all kinds of things to explore that question. And so it's really important that I say, um, you know, and Shelly and I, we actually had met a few, like about a year prior to the fellowship, but this was our experience really working together deeply on something, a project this big. And what happened is we came in asking the question, can racism end? And this was in 2020, when there was George Floyd murder happening and all the things that were happening in the world as it relates to social justice were really at the forefront of everybody's minds and experiences along with the COVID-19 pandemic. And as we were reading the books and seeing all the things, we kept noticing that most people just kind of started at this vantage point that racism was gonna be a thing that would last forever and ever and ever, that was just a human condition that would just always be here and we would be fighting for lifetimes and lifetimes and generations and generations. And so Shelly and I, with no expectation of the answer, to be honest, we were very skeptical and almost didn't even, we were very sheepish about even bringing the question to the fellowship. And so we came in and we asked, can racism end? And we spent our two years in the fellowship exploring that with anthropologists, neuroscientists, psychologists, psychotherapists, I mean, everything is, as you can possibly think of in the scientific domain. And then we were able to create from what we learned in that space, a program that we had hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the world go through that then got independently researched. And what we discovered, I'll just you know give the giveaway here, is every form of science And everything from all of our research shows that racism is not a given. It actually can end. And even though human beings have have done this thing called othering for, you know, since the dawn of time, this othering that we've done based upon this concept called race is just a phenomenon that we actually have every tool to end. We know everything we need to know to end. Science has every resource that we need to end. What we've discovered is that people's minds just aren't even in a place to think about the idea of it ending. Mm-hmm. And so if we can introduce that concept to people to say it can end. And here are the eight pillars that science proves have to exist in humanity for this to happen. 
then, you know, we will have done our job if we can get people to believe because it'll change everything, I believe. Yeah, it sure will change everything. Definitely. The big P, it's chapter nine. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that, the big P, because it is something that is very hard for a lot of people to grasp. I'm so glad you brought this chapter up, Bruce. It's one of my favorite chapters as well. Um, yeah, so we have a chapter called The Big P, and it's a concept that I think a lot of us have heard of and we kind of cringe sometimes when we hear it now because it's used as like a weapon, um, is the word privilege, right? And so when somebody hears the word privilege, we're used to like hearing, you're so privileged, like you should be quiet because other people have it so much worse than you. But what all of the research shows is that when people are actually taught to not hide or be ashamed of their privilege, but to actually own it and stand tall in it and know that they don't have to be ashamed of it, but they can use it as an opportunity to help, then everything changes. Because what, we're, what we want to be able to do, well, let me just give this example, Bruce. I grew up in the environment that you kind of mentioned, right? Like I grew up in a really rough neighborhood with gunshot holes outside my house. I worked my way out of that environment to create a better life for myself and my family. And when I have children, my children will be far more privileged than I was and definitely far more privileged than my parents were. And I sure hope that's the case, right? Like that's what I've worked this hard for. And so why would I want them to be ashamed of that or to hide that? And so I think this is what a lot of people have to remember in context is no matter how we got here, even if we reset the world, reset within about five minutes, somebody would have more than someone else, right? And so we're never gonna be on an equal playing field. So what we're trying to inspire people to do and what we want people to learn is instead of being ashamed of your privilege, how do you understand it? more deeply and use it as a platform to be of greater service to the world. And if we're teaching our kids and our children how to do that, as they're getting more privileged generation by generation, hopefully, then we're teaching, we're raising kids who actually know how to help and serve the world in more meaningful ways. Yeah, Justin, that makes so much sense. And I'm so glad that you devoted a whole chapter to this and you just addressed it head on. I want to talk to you about the shadow work that you did. Tell us about that. Okay, Bruce, this, I'm, you're asking my favorite questions. This is getting me very excited. So um, shadow work was something that I was not willing to write this book without. We had a lot that we had to cut from the book just to make it tight enough, you know, for people to read. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like a 600 page book, you yeah. know, on anti-racism. Yeah. And shadow work was one of the things I was unwilling to cut because what shadow work is for the people who are listening who are unfamiliar, but you may have heard of it maybe in the periphery. Shadow work is all the things in your life or in our world that are out of your field of awareness, but that are making your choices for you. And so I wanna be really clear on that. There's a lot that's out of our field of awareness, but when we're doing shadow work, we're looking at the things that are out of our awareness that are making our choices for us. And so how can it be that something is choosing for us? And sometimes those choices are taking us in the opposite direction of who we say we wanna be or where we say we wanna go. And so in the book, we talk about this in depth because 
our unresolved wounding, if not tended to, very sacredly and tenderly, will end up coloring all of our activism and all of our work for well-being. And if our unresolved wounding is coloring all of our work, then we're just perpetuating these same problems again and again with a slightly different twist. Yeah, we really are. I want to uh, talk to you about your music and your song that you recently did with Frank Fitzpatrick, who was on my show two years ago on episode yeah. 703. So Mindful Tribe, if you want to check out that episode, mindfulnessmode.com slash 703. Tell us about the song, Justin. Yeah, so what a lot of people are surprised about when they experience uh, my work is that I'm also a musician. I have the, the gift of getting nominated for a Grammy this last year, which was like big lifelong dream for me. I was pinching myself the whole time there on the red carpet and um, I'm just so grateful for that experience. And the reason I use music in my work is because music, I mean, historically for all of our ancestors has always been a part of our healing, always right? Song and music. The music I say is the medicine. It's the sugar that makes the medicine go down actually. And, uh, I worked on a song and I actually have an album coming out in February that I, uh, co-wrote and produced the entire project with Frank Fitzpatrick. And it's a project, uh, called soul child. And it's bringing us back to that child in each of us who just wants to know that they are loved but has to go through a journey of healing to transform itself, to become the adult. And when I look at this project, um, the song that just came out is called Hello. It's a project that really takes us from how we come into this world, whether you're coming into the world now as an activist, or you're coming into the world now as someone who's wanting to heal or meditate, like whatever entry point you're starting out today, not just when you were born. And then the journey that we have to go through, the ebbs and flows so that we can transform and become the highest version of ourselves. And so the music is hopefully music that can minister and really help people feel deeply um, and feel that journey of transformation as they are exploring their healing journey as well. Yeah. Thanks for telling us about that. And Mindful Tribe, the website is justinmichaelwilliams.com and there are links there to well, his book and his music, and you'll see when you go there, justinmichaelwilliams.com. Justin, I want to talk to you about your faith. Tell us mm. about your faith and what that means to you and what a, a role that plays in your life. I'm so grateful that you asked this. So, you know, my faith has been, like, if I, if I go into my core definition of faith, and this is something I write about. It's one of my favorite things to teach and talk about is fear and faith are the same thing. And that sounds like a cool, like little Instagram trope or something like that. But what I really mean is if you look at the core definition of faith, which means a complete confidence and belief in something or someone, then what we find is every religion, every element of faith runs through that definition, a complete confidence and belief in something or someone. And fear and faith are the same thing. They're just requiring us, both of them are requiring us to believe in something you can't see and that hasn't happened yet. And so the thing that we have to remember, however, 
is who we become when we believe in fear is very different than who we become when we believe in faith. And I learned this story at a super young age, you know, this lesson at a really young age. Growing up, I grew up Christian. And now I've, I've explored with so many different religions and traditions and techniques that now I'm kind of just an everythingist, <laughs> you know, and um, finding the joy and the love and the in, in a lot of different things. But But what I will say is at a young age, I learned by looking around at me in my environment that if I believed, if I had faith, not just in a God, but that there was more possible for my life in the world, then I would start to become someone who was creating those possibilities for there to be more possible for myself and for the world. If I was somebody who believed in fear, meaning that my circumstances were my limitations, then I would create be a person who was creating circumstances for myself and others that were limiting. And so I watched this unfold with friends and family around me who grew up in the same environment around me as me and watching their mindset and how a mindset of believing what's possible shifts what is possible for you. And this is why the book has been so important to me because what we are hoping to do with this book, and I believe you know, when people read it, they will feel this, is shifting us to have a different level of faith instead of fear around this concept of race right. and racism faith that there is more possible than us just being anti everything and fighting against everything or even bruce you know people say all the time we're going to make racism better we're going to heal racism we're going to fix racism and i say to that now what the hell is fixed racism what is better racism? What is healed racism? I, that, what does that even mean? It doesn't even make sense. No, right? And so no. what we want to do is play a bigger game. And I'm hoping that our book allows people to do that so that we can not just make it better, but end it. Right. And your book is being released very, very... Well, actually, it was just released a few it days ago, out. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it just came out last week. Yeah. A week ago, yesterday. It's been... A really big week. <laughs> oh, I guess it has. Tell us some of the feedback from your book. It must be so exciting. Yeah, Bruce, you know, it's been um, it's been such a gift. Like, I think the biggest piece of feedback that made me cry, and Shelly as well, when we got it, is our commitment to writing this book. Like, the reason we wrote it was to write something that could rally people together in a space of hope and possibility in in around this conversation of race and racism and ending it and so in order to do that when we said rally people together we really meant from across what people would consider divides and so our first big test when we finished the book is the book got sent to a critical race theory researcher who was very liberal and a very conservative writer for fox news we sent them both the book and our publisher and all of us, we waited three and a half weeks to get the feedback and we were so nervous. And when we got their feedback, we just cried because both of them said they were standing by this work. It was one of the best things they had read and they were using it every day with their friends and family. And when we looked at their responses to the inner work that happens in the book, we have all these sections of kind of mindfulness, actually inner work practices that happen throughout the book you would have been shocked that these two people had so many of the same responses 
but could never probably sit in a room together because they've been taught to hate each other. And so that feedback that this book is not just for liberal left, but if people are looking for a book for their conservative person in their family or if they're conservative themselves, this is a book that really, I think we can all rally around and hopefully use together to make a better world. Yeah, I love that. That is fantastic. And I, I want to talk to you about meditation. And I know you wrote another book that was a meditation guide. Tell us about the meditation in your life. Oh, my gosh, Bruce. I mean, meditation is the glue that keeps my whole life together. Um, I've been meditating now for this will be 15 years. Um, which is a long time in my life. I'm 35. Right. <laughs> and so years is significant. You know, I, I, I started learning to meditate when I was 19, uh, 18 going on 19, and has been just a very consistent practice for me. And, you know, for me, there's a lot of benefits to meditation. And I can go on and on here. And I know you talk about it a lot in your pod, your amazing podcast, which I've had the gift of listening to. And but the one benefit that I'll say for me that is the most significant is I say that prayer is when you're kind of speaking to or asking your source of higher power for something. And meditation is when you're listening to the messages coming back to you. And I feel like so many times we have so much experience in our life asking, praying, like, show me the way, what do I do? And we do that in different ways. We do it in therapy. We get tarot cards. We read astrology. We do human design. We read spiritual texts. We're like trying to find something. But if we don't have an, a practice of sitting down and listening for what's coming in, coming up from within or from whatever you believe in, then we miss it. We miss the message. And for me, my meditation practice has been a home base for me to keep coming back to my faith, to keep coming back to my faith in a bigger possibility for humanity and what I believe in every day, even when the world is so challenging, right? I have to have a home base to come back to, to plug myself into what I really believe is important. And so this is how my practice really serves me in a powerful way. Yes, and you serve your listeners. And one way you do that is through The Kingdom, your podcast. Tell us about this. Tell us how long you've been doing it and how it feeds you. Yeah, so so we have, I'm nowhere near 700 episodes like you, Bruce, but we have a couple hundred episodes. Um, but the interesting news is that you're asking about this. The Kingdom podcast, we just did our last episode. It's coming to a close. Um, I've been doing the podcast for three and a half years, very consistently. Um, we've had amazing guests, Marianne Williamson, Tarana Burke, Sonia Renee Taylor, like just really cool people that have talked about some amazing things. And all of that will stay up online. It's also on video. But my main you know, mission with the kingdom was to bring people in their podcast ears a uh a church-like experience that wasn't religious at all. So we have live music. You know, I tell people the podcast is like church meets an interview meets a TED talk, you know, to really give people an entertaining experience as they're healing. And it's been a beautiful experience. But now as my travel schedule and stuff is picking up, um, you know, it's not as realistic for me to sustain. 
So I hope people go back and listen to those couple hundred episodes that we have and, and enjoy them. It's called The Kingdom Podcast by Justin Michael Williams. I'm sure people will go back and listen and listen and listen. You live in California. Tell us about your experience living in other places and the mindfulness that you've experienced, either have experienced or maybe wanted to experience. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I travel a lot. Um, I spent a big chunk of the last three years actually living in Indonesia, in Bali. And um, I know I like still pinch myself when I say that. I see people rolling their eyes like, oh, you lived in Bali. like You know, but I did. It was such a gift and I'm so grateful. And I think one of the things that I loved about Bali the most is the local people there, like uh, in the Balinese culture, they have such a sense of mindfulness and prayer that you just feel the intentionality everywhere you go. And people hear about Bali and think that like Bali itself like has some magic to it. And I think the reason why Bali has this healing magic for people is because of the local culture that is keeping these ancient traditions alive. Um, you know, what's unique about Bali is a lot of places where we go visit you know, around Europe or around everywhere, we are, we're looking at a historical reference of a culture that is no longer there, right? So we're looking at ruins or we're hearing about a history. The Balinese people, the original Balinese people, the original culture is still alive there as it was thousands of years ago. They are still doing ceremonies in those temples that they did thousands of years ago. And it's so amazing to be able to go and have that experience um, and experience the mindfulness coming from a completely different culture and lens. And so I feel like every culture has it, every tradition has it, every religion has it. And uh, being able to tap into it in these different ways is a really beautiful thing to see that it's like a thread that really binds humanity together in some way. Justin, where is a place in the world you've always wanted to visit, but you've just never been there yet? Brazil. Okay. I've been to Brazil and I want to go to Brazil so bad. Um, yeah, the cult, there's like so much culture and music and dance and, you know, all this kind of stuff, but somehow I've never made it there yet. So it's on the top of my list. Well, I'm sure it'd be a wonderful place to visit. I know that we're going to be visiting Peru soon, but uh, not we don't have Brazil on our agenda. Peru is supposed to be amazing too. So I, yeah. my one of my good friends just went there for his birthday. So I, I've heard many, many amazing things about it. I hope you have a great trip. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to it. So tell us more about uh, the book and the messages that you are hoping to get through and how you really what you really wanted to leave with the reader when they were finished yeah. reading this book so there are two main things that i'll talk about here the first is in the fight against racism i'm using that language very specifically we focused so much of our energy historically on what we're fighting against what we're anti and what we need to break down and the question that we really ask and try to help solve and help help other people solve in the book, it's not like Shelly and I have all the answers. We're actually just prompting the right questions so that all of us can come up with these answers in our own communities is once all of this is dismantled, well, what's left? What are we building? What are we walking toward? What is the future that we're creating that's worth fighting for? 
What is the vision that we're walking into? We can't just focus our energy on canceling, being anti and breaking things down. We also have to spend our energy into being visionary and looking at what can be created that is a better solution. And so we really are, this book is very much about what we're for and not what we're against. And that's really the conversation that we wanted to insert into this conversation about race and racism, because we think it's one of the things that has been missing the most is that sense of what are we really walking towards and what are we for? And then the second thing to note really ties into what I just said. Shelly and I do not come to this. This is not a book that's like 10 steps to end racism. It's not that kind of a book. The book is really about, here's what we've learned in the last three and a half years doing this research across all these multidisciplinary fields and with people from multiple backgrounds and different you know, political agendas is that there are what we call the eight pillars of possibility. And these are the eight things that science shows must be embraced by humanity for us to even get to the starting line of ending racism. And the reason I say the starting line is because right now, all we are trying to get people to do is recognize that racism really can end. Like it, it actually really can. And I was so shocked to learn this. Like we almost just kept trying to peek around every other ledge, edge to see, is this really possible? And I think even some of the scientists and people who were working with us, when they really dug into this, were like, yes, this is a possibility. And so for us to get people to believe that and then start taking the steps to become the people who can end racism, then we will have done our job. And then people will come up with their own ways to do it inside of their circles of influence. So like if you're in government, you'll learn how to end racism there. If you're a school teacher, you'll learn how to end racism there. If you're a parent, you'll end racism there. And so we hope to be able to give tools to people to help them become the end of racism in the circles of influence that they have. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you and Shelley publicly for writing this book. I mean, it's just so wonderful that you've done it and you've just poured yourself into it and that you're not doing like what you said, like 10 steps to end racism. It's not that kind of book at all. And I just really applaud you for doing this. As we move forward in our interview, Justin, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person that has been a really powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Oh, I will say Frank, actually, Fitzpatrick. Um, he's brought mindfulness into my music in a way that I didn't have access to before meeting him. And I'm so grateful for him. Oh, he's amazing. He really is. And let's talk about your emotions. So how has mindfulness changed how you deal with your emotions? Ooh, that's a big one. And I love it because I think the main thing that I can say in 30 seconds is it's allowed me to have to stretch my capacity to allow the waves of emotions to roll through me without me getting thrashed around by those waves. And that alone has saved me from making so many bad choices in my lows and bad choices in my highs to just be able to sit and, and run with it. Right. Let's, let's talk about breathing. We haven't touched on this yet in the interview. What are your thoughts on breathing as breathing relates to mindfulness? 
It's one of the first things that I do when I sit down to meditate is just do a short breathing practice. Um, and whether people are doing like breath work or whatever it is, like I honestly just like taking a few like big deep breaths before I practice. I know the science of it is just helps regulate the nervous system. For me, breathing is an essential part of uh, a healthy mindfulness practice. Totally. Your book, How We Ended Racism, is awesome. Any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Oh, yes. Okay. So there is, uh, I love that you asked this question because I have a few books that I just really love. Um, so uh, there's a book, well, Shelly has a great book that she wrote before our book together. We, this is both of our second books. Shelly's book is called Sit Down to Rise Up. It is an actual mindfulness and self-care book uh, to help us stand up more deeply in the world. And it's very specifically about mindfulness and self-care. It's amazing. The second book that I'll mention is Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark. It's by an author named Robert Augustus Masters. It's one of my favorite books on shadow work that's really practical and allows us to understand it deeply. And then uh, Frank Fitzpatrick book, Amplified, mm. is really phenomenal, which I know you talked about in your episode with him, I'm sure. Yes. Um, it's phenomenal because it helps us understand really the mindfulness aspect of what's happening as it relates to music. And if people can understand those dimensions, you know, how to take action, how to dive deep into our shadow and how to use, you know, art and music, which is something we engage with every day. Even if you're not an artist, you're engaging with art and music in grocery stores all over like and use that in a mindful way that helps to transform it's a game changer for your whole life yeah for sure tell us about an app that helps you in your life my favorite app and i have like i actually have like i don't know 40 or 60 i don't even know how many guided meditations that i i lead on this app um it's called insight timer they have so many amazing teachers. I mean, it's just unbelievable how many teachers they have on this app. And a lot of people know Insight Timer because they like use it as a timer when they're meditating and like a little bell. But if you actually go into the app and it's free, like they have a premium thing where you can get access to more things, but they have many hundreds of thousands of free courses or many thousands at least. Um, free meditations from people and it's awesome and I have tons of meditations on there so it's one that I personally use as well fantastic yes I do too so as we wrap up the interview I want to just ask you Justin for any final words of advice that you can leave with us well just love yourselves people <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I think right now with everything going on in the world the ability for us to love others um is really important and also the ability to really love ourselves and by loving ourselves you know we expand and open our hearts in deeper ways and i really believe it's through opening our hearts that we're going to start to solve some of the problems that we're seeing in the world right now yeah great insight thank you so much for being on the show justin i really appreciate knowing you thanks bruce you too thanks for such a great interview all the best bye now Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today. I want to suggest you check out my YouTube channel. It's mindfulnessmode.com slash TV. And if you check it out and you like it, you know, leave some likes and some some comments that would be amazing and definitely subscribe to the channel that would be appreciated and with that take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode